Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 94. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today's guest is Esther Darian, who I first connected with when my husband and I stumbled into her store, Read It and Eat, in Chicago's Lincoln Park neighborhood when we had a half hour to kill before a dinner reservation. We'd never been any place quite like it and were wowed by her concept, her kitchen, and her broad selection of both culinary books and live events. In today's interview, I got to hear the rest of the story, and it's a good one. Esther's professional background isn't in food or in books, but instead in management consulting. But, like so many good stories, Esther's turns on an epiphany she had on a trip to Paris five years ago. She left convinced that what her adopted city of Chicago needed was its own destination for culinary books and events, and not finding anything like that already in town, she sought to open that business herself. Today, we talk about food, of course, and the way it brings people together. You probably won't be surprised to hear us mention cookbooks and food titles today, But we also discuss the characteristics of a great memoir, what it's like to run a bookstore, the inclusivity of food and books, and the favorite titles of her childhood. Let's get to it. Esther, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. It is my pleasure. I'm so happy to have an excuse to talk to you a little bit more. So we first connected when my husband and I found ourselves with an extra half hour before a dinner reservation in the Lincoln Park neighborhood in Chicago and wandered into your store, Read It and Eat, which I still think might be the cutest name for a bookstore I have ever encountered. Thank you. I remember when we met, um, and I remember that you did have reservations, and you'd come in, and you'd say, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> I'd just never been in another store like it. It was a lot of fun. I would love to hear the road to opening a, I was going to call it a culinary bookstore, but is that even how you'd describe your shop? I started describing it as a culinary bookstore, um, but now I call it a destination for culinary books and events. I in all honesty, never thought I was ever going to own a bookstore or a business like this. Um, But I had taken a food tour to Paris about, I think it was in 2013 or something like that. And the lady who took us on the tour um, gave us some lessons in her kitchen. She was an American woman, but she had a small little apartment in Paris. Um, She gave us some lessons in the kitchen. She took us to restaurants. She took us to markets and little stores that had, you know, some type of culinary tie to it, whether they sold tools and gadgets or things like that. And one of those stores was a culinary bookstore. And I walked in and I looked around and a little bit like you, where you went, what is this? I looked around and I was like, what is this? And I was just so fascinated that I researched Um, culinary bookstores in in Chicago and it looked like there had been one maybe 20, maybe 30 years ago and had been closed and there wasn't one that existed. And so I continued to do more and more research. Given my background in consulting, I really needed to understand what was going on, what it was going to take, what the margins were like. And then I found out the margins were really tiny and being someone who likes to eat and likes shoes and likes nice clothes, I put that idea on the back burner for a while. And then fast forward a couple of years, I picked up the idea again, and I started to work with someone from SCORE who helped me refine the idea, and we looked for ways to bring in things that would um, make it more interesting and also, uh, you know, a higher margin part of the business, so to speak. 
So we added a kitchen and I think that was one of the best decisions I'd ever made to do that because now with the events that we do, we can do so many different types of formats. If an author just wants to come in and do a reading, we can do that. If they want to come in and do a demo, we can do that. Um, and we can configure the space in different areas. We've also been able to do dinners, things like that, cooking classes. So I'm really happy we added the kitchen. So coming back then to why we now call it Chicago's Destination for Culinary Books and Experiences is because it truly is an experience for us to be there. Um, the books are there 100%, and it is half the store is dedicated to the books. And at the same time, I think it's that combination of books and experience is what that makes it so unique. Now, many people have walked into that culinary bookstore in Paris, and they did not return to their town and want to open a bookstore. What was it? Do you remember what it was about that experience, about the store itself, about the possibilities of having a room full of books, all having something to do with food that really appealed to you as an individual? I honestly cannot explain it. it I think it was just a very, it was a very gut reaction. I would say, like I said, I never had an idea or a thought or, you know, any desire to own a bookstore. Um, I'd always loved culinary books, even though I hadn't been a very large or big curator of culinary books on a personal level. I had my collection, but it wasn't, you know, I've had people walk into my store and say, you know, I have a thousand books at home. And I'm thinking to myself, I'd have to live outside my front door if I had a thousand books in my home. So... I enjoyed cookbooks, loved them. Um, I just can't explain it. it. There was just something about that store that felt good. And I I liked looking at all of those books and the fact that they were all food and drink themed. On our show, we talk about how good it is to be among other people who are reading. And books have this really unique ability to bring people together. And it's like a shortcut to talking about the really important things in life. And the same is also very much true about food. Do you see that at work in your store, both on the reading side of the store and the kitchen side of the store? Absolutely. I mean, I think the thing that is so wonderful about culinary books is it, it is that intersection, right? So Food brings people together, whether, you know, it's a family at dinner, whether you like each other, most families do dinner together. Um, and even cross-culturally, I think food sort of unites people. And then to your point, books, books bring people together too. And so I think when you combine the two, and, and we see it a lot in the store, there are people when they come to events and they start talking to each other and they start exchanging contact. And it's it's really nice because I think it helps build that community and and, and that intersection between books and food, that, you know, I think makes it even more special. Can you tell me about a memorable event that you hosted at Read It and Eat? <laughs> um, so we've had quite a few really nice events, but the one event that really sticks in my mind is because it gave me a lot of heartburn coming up to it. Um, we had Marcus Samuelson in the store last October, and two days before the event, his publicist sends me an email and says, Marcus wants to bring his three-piece band. Now, you've been to this store. I had no idea where I was going to have a three-piece band in the store. Plus, we were already at about 70 RSVPs, which is well over my capacity. So <laughs> coming up to the event, I'm stressing. I'm extremely anxious, trying to figure out how to configure these bookcases, which thank God went cast us. So I ended up pushing a lot of bookcases into the office pushed bookcases into the back of the store where the three compartment sink is, you know, whenever myself or any one of my staff needed to go to the back to take things, it was 
I swear it was like an obstacle course. We were climbing over things and squeezing through things. And in the end, his band showed up. He showed up. It was such an incredible event. And, you know, add to the fact that he is such a great speaker and has such an interesting story. Um, that was such a great event. Esther, some people have this image in their minds about what it's like to own a bookstore. And I, I would have done this myself 20 years ago. I would imagine you sitting around, reading your books at that cute kitchen counter, greeting your customers as they walk in and picking your book back up again when they walk out. So that's your reading life, right? Well, um, I definitely do that sometimes. Um, and mainly that's because I am planning an event and I'm looking through the book to figure out what we want to demo for that event. Or if there isn't going to be demo, I'm trying to figure out, well, what are we going to cook from that book and serve as food samples? Uh, you're right in the sense that people have this very romanticized idea of what it is to own a bookstore. I think everybody has watched You've Got Mail and that's the idea of this cute little bookstore where, you know, it's it's this big hub and a community and people all come together until the big bad, you know, I can't remember what the name of the the that the chain bookstore was in that store that Tom Hanks owned. It's you know, there is there isn't an element of being around those books, especially when the store is closed. I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and it does give me that feel. And at the same time, the day to day things that I have to do are not even a little bit romantic or interesting. <laughs> What's your reading life actually like? Your personal reading life? In all honesty, I read a lot of cookbooks these days because I'm always trying to figure out what's coming out you know what's with what everything that's coming out in the spring and the fall I'm really spending a lot of time in cookbooks I do love it when you know a biography comes out like Amy Thielen's biography her memoir when she wrote that I I enjoyed reading that um, so I also look forward to a lot of what I call food related books but are not cookbooks um, because that's really today the only way I read something that's not specifically a cookbook. Well, I noticed in your store that your definition of what a culinary book is, is very broad. We saw so many books in your store that featured food, but lots of novels that weren't food novels, but they were novels with food, probably because they were novels with people. I, I loved, I love to see all those books having to do with food under one roof, but they weren't just food memoirs and cookbooks. Correct. So we do have a novel section that's that's food related. Um, and it is a fairly broad definition in the sense that the book might be written about a chef and or there might be recipes in its in each section that was important to the lead in a in an in that novel. But we do have a ton of memoirs too. We do have a ton of travel books that are food related. So if you know, if it's written about travel traveling around wine trails or things like that, we have a lot of those books as well. Um, we do have a section that is a little bit around styling. We do have a section that's a little bit around you know, that's a little bit more humorous, but it's food related. So we do have, we, we try and get a little bit broad too, because we want to mix it up. And we also want to be known as the place that has all of these unique food related books. How much do you mix it up when you are choosing books that you read for yourself? Is there such a thing these days? I haven't really gotten into the food novels personally. 
Um, but I do read a lot of the memoirs and I do read and, you know, the biographies and the essays. And I think there's some really interesting books that are coming out in the fall as well. Um, so for me, I would say maybe about 80, 20. Esther, what's a book that's really been important to you that didn't have anything to do with food? Well, I used to read a lot of novels growing up and I used to read a lot of um, I used to read a lot of <laughs> I'm laughing because I might sound silly, but I used to read a lot of, there's a British author called Enid Blyton. And when I was growing up, my mother tells me that that is all, and I do believe it's true. That is all I used to read because she used to write about a group of friends called the Famous Five and a group of friends called the Secret Seven. And they would all run away and, and there would be mysteries happening in their little town. And they would investigate that and they would work with the police. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So those were the books that I grew up with and I absolutely loved. And when I think when I think of books that I enjoy, I actually, you know, I think of those. And sometimes I I think if I had one of those books here right now, I would be happy to pick it up and read it, too. <laughs> so that is the kind of thing that you would consider coming back to as an adult. Yes. I love it. Are you ready to dive into your favorites? Sure. Okay, here's how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you're not crazy about, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Thanks. So I would say the three books that I love, and these are the three most recent books that I love, and I we talked about um, Amy Thielen's Give a Girl a Knife. Um, what I liked about that is while, while, she t while the story is really about her life from Minnesota going into New York, going to culinary school, working at some of the best kitchens, and then really finding that what she truly wanted and what really, you know, was the heart and soul for her was going home to Minnesota and, and, and the kitchen and the family around that. But what I love about that is it really highlights the life of a female chef. Um, I think we need to make you know, bring that to the forefront more and more. There are more and more women in professional kitchens. We've always been in kitchens at home anyway, but somehow when it comes to the professional kitchen, we don't always, you know, get the recognition of of being front and center and be and, and working in kitchens. So I love this that book um for multiple different reasons, including that. You mentioned this was an especially good food memoir. What are some of the characteristics of a great food memoir to you? To me, if I really understand what the person was going through, if I can resonate and I can and relate to that, you know, trying to find yourself, trying to do different things. You know, I've, you know, like we talked about this before. I was a management consultant. Now I own my own business and, and, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to grow my business. And I, and it's, it's very, my life at the moment is very exploratory in many ways. Um, and I think with this book, you know, she was trying to find his, not, not that she was lost or anything like that. Right. But she was really trying to understand, um, what food meant to her, you know, first she thought it was going into culinary school, which was the right thing for her to do. And absolutely, you know, what she wanted to do, but I think what she thought she was trying to get away from wasn't necessarily what she was trying to get away from. So I, in my mind, she had that whole exploratory part of her life too. Um, so I, I resonated with that. Um, the other book that I like is Six Seasons and it's a new book too. And the reason I like that book is I, you know, I always tell people I'm a big meat eater, <laughs> but I'm also always looking for ways to introduce vegetables into my life without 
being a vegetarian and without having to eat a salad every day. And this is a book that's vegetable forward and it's based on seasons. And the recipes are just so interesting that um, I just really enjoy cooking from that book. So it it, it kind of helps you that most the most of the recipes are completely vegetable based, but then there are a lot of recipes in there too that sort of help you figure out how to combine proteins and vegetables and have a full meal. Now I've seen the author Joshua McFadden referred to as the vegetable whisperer, which I think is brilliant. <laughs> but I don't know the meaning behind the title. What? Why is it called Six Seasons? Because we there's there's four where I live, so it's surprising and fun. But I wish I knew the the secret behind it. Well, so so for example, even in the summer, in the early summer and in the late summer, vegetables that are available can be different, and how you treat a vegetable that you. I don't know if pluck is the right word, but if that you pull from the ground or harvest um, should be cooked and worked with differently from, say, a carrot that, at you know, at the end of the summer. So he does break that down into sub seasons as well. So you, you'll have like you'll have a section that says early summer and a section that says, you know, late summer and how he how he worked, you know, the recipes or the techniques that he uses with with the same, you know, carrot is different depending on when in that season you you uh, access the vegetable. Okay, so really, for someone who's not extremely adept with handling all the like we get a farm basket every week, and I never know what to do with it. So it would he would make it easier on me, basically. Yes, that is the book for you. <laughs> Noted. I can I'll take care of that after we after we finish talking. Esther, what's your third favorite? So my third favorite is in and it's it's a co-favorite with the food lab, but it is um salt, fat, acid, and heat. Um and the premise of the book is if you can master those four elements, you can cook anything. And it's the reason I like that book specifically is because I think it appeals to a lot of different people. Um, if you are a, you know, a, a seasoned cook, but you're a science nerd, that book's, that book will appeal to you because it really gets into why things happen the way they do when you're cooking, how heat changes the texture of food, you know, how, when you salt has a different effect on the food in terms of level of saltiness. So it really gets into all of that. If you're not much of a cook, it's also a book for you because she does explain a lot of the basics and there are a lot of recipes in there that you can easily work with. Um, and also if you're an experienced cook and you just want to pick up some new technique and the science behind it is not necessarily for you, it's a it's a really good book too. So I like that book specifically because it appeals to a lot of different people. And in fact, I like books like that, that it, you know have that broad appeal. Um, for me, the reason I say it's my kind of like my co-favorite because the food lab had while a slightly different twist on it, but had that scienceiness to it that explained why foods, you know, reacted the way they reacted when you cooked it and you salted it. And if you left an egg out for five minutes, why it changed and, you know, how, how the egg would cook differently if you left it out and then versus cooking it immediately. So um, that, that's my third book for the season. So it sounds like, it sounds like a present day Harold McGee to me. How close am I? I think, yeah, I would say yes. I could make that correlation. He is super, super sciencey, and I've I flipped through 
this one, but I haven't read it cover to cover. Although now my cooking life has been a little lackluster lately and maybe this is exactly what I need, but it, it seemed a little, um, more friendly, less textbooky than McGee. Is that fair? Yes. I would say yes. 100% yes. Okay. What, what is it about a cookbook, any cookbook that really makes it stand out to you? Are you looking for great recipes? Do you love great photos? Do you love the personal essays that go with so many recipes and cookbooks these days? What are you looking for? I would say a combination. And in fact, you know, it's funny when you say great recipes, because for me, I feel when I own a cookbook, if I've made three to five things from it, I'm doing really well because sometimes I buy a cookbook because I just want it. Um, uh, I, for me, it has to, the recipes have to work. So I'm the type of person who I do rely on a recipe. I'm, I cook well. And I always tell people, if you've written a recipe well, I can make it. And I always offer it to be someone's recipe tester, but no one's taken me up on it. <laughs> I'm a rule follower. Um, but I do I do enjoy books that teach me new things. So for example, Dana Cree's ice cream book this season, I've been actually working through that and I love it. And I've made ice cream flavors I've never made before. Actually, I've never even made ice cream before. And she's turned me on to ice cream making. I made toasted hay ice cream the other day. Yeah, I'm sorry, what? I said toasted hay ice cream. Tell us about that. <laughs> so you toast hay in the oven and you heat your dairy, which is a combination of milk, cream, and then you put in your stabilizer and your glucose and your sugar. And when that comes to a boil and the hay is toasted, you infuse the hay in the milk and then you strain it and then you add the eggs and then you cure it and cool it and then you churn it. And it's actually really wonderful. It's got this little, it's got like a nutty, nut, it's like a nutty flavor. Um, and it's got a really nice smell when you're toasting the hay in your oven, your whole house smells like, it smells very warm. Where does one obtain hay to toast, to put in ice cream? I actually got it at a pet store. Um, but I think some people get it from, um, landscape artists. Uh, some people get it from farms. I think you can get it off of Amazon too. How did it turn out? What did you think? I loved it. I love the ice cream. I also had an entire bale of hay left over, which I've just given away. <laughs> <laughs> and the one thing about working with hay is it gets everywhere. And I thought to myself, because once you pull out a handful, it starts to just fall apart. And then it's flying everywhere. And I thought to myself, it's a good thing I'm not allergic to hay. Otherwise, I'd have to move because I can't get it out of my house. That's I, n I never would have guessed. Where do good photos fall in your cookbook specifications? And I know that some people are kind of down on the importance to consumers of photos these days. So I don't know where you fall there. I think, I think photos are still very important. And I think especially people, you know, especially if you're showing someone something new, they want to know what it should look like. Um, especially I think if you're baking or doing something that involves a very specific or complicated or complex technique, people want to see what it looks like. I mean, if you're making a stew, you probably don't need to see what it looks like. Uh, but if you're making maybe, I don't know, I can't think of anything, maybe a pie or something like that, and you want to see whether it came out the right way, I think people want pictures if it's, you know, something you're not used to. And maybe even with a stew, I mean, how, you know, how, how thick should it be? How, 
not like should it be i'm not finding the right words but you know what i mean um so i think i think pictures are important um and I, I think with cookbooks, they'll continue to be important. Esther, how do people browse in your store? A lot of times do people walk through the door knowing what they want? Or sometimes do they walk out with something unexpected? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I have, I have, I think, sort of three segments of customers. I have the chefs who come in who always go to the one section because they're always looking for inspiration in, in terms of what they want to cook and what they want to make at their restaurants and things like that. So they are always going to the section with the restaurant books and the chef books and things like that. Um, then I think there's a group of customers who've sort of wandered in and are surprised by what they see. And then they either wander out with, you know, having made a purchase, they were not thinking they were going to make that day. Um, or come back at some point. Um, and then I think there's a segment of customers that are more sort of the everyday cooks who come in and, you know, are poking around and browsing around and they know their way around, don't really want a lot of help, but they they also pick up a few different things from time to time. And sometimes I've heard them say, I, no, I haven't seen this before. I'm really glad I came in today. So I think it's it really depends on... And, how people shop as well and and in you know and what they're looking for i think it's it's a combination of different things what is it about a book or a cookbook that makes a book stand out on the shelves to a browser i hate to say this um and at the same time i think the jacket of the book is the first thing that attracts someone if they don't know what they're looking for, right? So if they're just browsing, I think the jacket of the book is the first thing that attracts someone. And then maybe a catchy title as well would be would be very attractive to people. Um, so for example, you know, um, six seasons to you, you know, like you said, well, there are only four seasons where I come from. And I think a title like six seasons might make someone stop and take a look at that book because it's interesting, you know, it's it's curious to them. Um, so I think the title, I think the jacket, it's it's a combination of that. If, you, if you're just sort of, sort of browsing, I think that's what attracts people to books. Okay. And I would assume you make a ton of recommendations as well. We do. We do. Um, you know, and I think it's it's also quite interesting. I think the books that sell are the books that we all sort of enjoy ourselves personally. Um, I remember when this book, Saison, came out. It's not a book you would cook from. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous book. I always joke and say, if I'm, if this book is in my car, I'm putting a seatbelt on it. <laughs> um, but I wanted to sell the book, and I, you know, and I sold that book several times. And I had one of my employees; she's not with us anymore, but she loved the novel section. And when she was at the store, she sold a lot of novels. And so I find the sections that sell um, there's there is a correlation between what what the staff enjoy and and like to recommend this and you know and also what people are looking for esther left turn here what's can you tell me about a book that you're not so crazy about so you know i thought about that for a while when i saw the instructions come through i think it's less about a particular book that i'm not crazy about and more of a style of a book i think books that are um prohibitive is not the right word maybe but there are books that are focused on you know maybe a specific diet and that's okay but what I don't like about some books in that type of genre is they say everything else is not okay this is the only way to eat 
Um, and then it becomes very political. And, you know, I think food should be inclusive. Um, we're, we're all entitled to our preferences. Um, but I think food should be inclusive. I don't think we should say this is this is a particular way we should eat or we should only eat these types of things and nobody else and, you know, and, and people shouldn't eat any other types of things. So, you know, I think those are the types of books that I, I don't really spend a lot of time with. Okay. So food should be inclusive and welcoming and not political. Correct. Although there is a lot of politics around food and, you know, when you start to think about third world countries and things like that, but that's a whole different conversation. But when you are like, when we're looking for books for your shelves today, we don't want books that have agendas or missions or, or that make people angry. Well, I don't want books that say that everything else is wrong. And only what I'm recommending is right. I mean, I think every book has an agenda. I mean, you know, so Six Seasons is promoting vegetables. That's the agenda. But I, you know, it's not saying don't eat anything else. Okay. We'll look for welcoming books for yourselves. Esther, what are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Um, well, I haven't, I haven't um, picked up anything new at the moment. I started to read uh, My New Paris um, earlier this year when we when we um, did the event with uh, Lindsay Tramuta. But the section of that book that I left out was the fashion section and the section that talked about the architecture. I was really very interested in the food section. And so I'm starting to go back to that and sort of finish that book. Esther, as we, as we think about titles for you, is there anything that you want more of or want to be different in your own reading life? I think I would like to really start to maybe go back to non-cookbooks a little bit. Not that I don't love and enjoy cookbooks, but I think I, I've also missed out on a lot of good books, which I probably couldn't tell you what I specifically missed out on because I haven't really been paying attention to anything other than culinary books that have been coming out in the last two years. That makes sense. How long has Read It and Eat been open? Two years. <laughs> and then what was the... How long was the incubation process? Well, the time the idea hatched in my head is when I was in Paris. Um, and so I th guess that was 2013, maybe September. And we opened in May 2015. And um, I started to write the business plan in... Um, actually, no, I went to Paris in 2012 in September and started the business plan in... Um, I remember it was Memorial Day weekend because I took the entire week off and kind of plowed through the business plans. So that was 2014 Memorial Day weekend. And we opened in May 2015. That actually sounds like a very impressive whirlwind. If you told me you hadn't really looked at much besides culinary books for five years, that would seem perfectly reasonable to me. How do you stay informed about what what's new in that realm of publishing? Um, there are a lot of resources that are out there for booksellers. Edelweiss is a resource that's out there. Publishers Weekly, you know, we get a lot of information from them. Um, I also subscribe to newsletters and things like that that are more food-focused because the interesting thing about being in publishing and being in cookbooks is a lot of the relationships and the partnerships that I build are with people in the food world and less with people in the literary world, so to speak, um, because we're, we're, you know, cookbooks are not necessarily what 
people think about when they think of improving literacy. So, but cookbooks are what people think about when they think about putting food on the table or going to a restaurant or going to a food fair. So the festivals that I go to tend to be food related when we're at the offsite bookseller versus going to a literacy fair like um, Printers Row. Do you have a favorite? Um, I enjoy the Good Food Festival a lot. I think that's a lot of fun, um, you know, especially kind of because what they do is they bring in a lot of different vendors and farmers. And I think that's a really interesting fair to go to um, because of what they do. I've been to Taste Talks and that's a lot of fun, too. So there, there are a lot of good ones out there. I can't say I actually have a favorite. And both of those are in Chicago. Yes. Taste Talks, uh, Good Food Festival is in Chicago. Yes, Taste Talks, I believe they are. Um, they they have a Taste Talks in Los Angeles and New York and um, Chicago, and I can't remember a couple of other cities as well. Okay, that sounds like a a fun part of the job. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of fun. Okay, so more non cookbooks. We'll see what we can do. I have some ideas, and we will get to them right after the break. Esther, welcome back. Thank you. Okay. Usually we talk about your books right here, but you have all food all the time, but maybe would like to not to be so much now that your store is chugging along. I would say the way I would phrase it is I would like to supplement all my cookbooks with different types of reading. I like that phrasing much better. So I don't want to venture too far afield because we we know what you're interested in. And also, I'm a little bit relieved that you don't want me to recommend you cookbooks because that sounds like a game show. <laughs> have you read? <laughs> I say, have you read this? And you say yes and ad nauseum. Okay. Are you up for one cookbook? Okay. Let's do it. Okay. I'm thinking about Brave Tart by Stella Parks. It's brand new. This is an author from my state, uh, got her start in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, started a blog. So she's an entrepreneur. She started a blog after she became the pastry chef at a now defunct Lexington, Kentucky restaurant an hour down the road from me and got really into um, making adorable food, classic American desserts. And she's really into the surprising histories and interesting food tricks of American classics, but also um, sciencey shortcuts and food tips that come from the food industry. So is this a book you're familiar with? Does that sound interesting? Yeah, I, I haven't completely read the book. The book is, um, I am familiar with it. We did see an advanced reader copy of it. Um, the thing that's interesting for me with that book is one of the pastry, well, I shouldn't say one of the, she is our only pastry instructor. Um, but our pastry instructor loves and follows Stella Parks. And she says, if she has been pushing me to try and get her into the store to do an event. And so hopefully we can make it happen. Esther, what? So we know you like memoir. I'm thinking of a memoir that's not about food, but is totally about food. It's called Day of Honey. It's by Anna Cisaldo, a freelance journalist who's done a good bit of war reporting. Is this a book you're familiar with? No, I'm not actually. Okay. This is... The subtitle is A Memoir of Food, Love, and War, which captures it really well. This is a memoir of her life and her travels for personal reasons and for work reasons in the war-torn Middle East. And food is always important, but Sato was really intrigued by 
her observation that when there's a war on, food takes on even more meaning than it already has. And we know that food already has so much meaning and power in our everyday lives. But in wartime, it's imbued with um, heavy symbolism, so much nostalgia, um, whether you're eating the food of your homeland or the food of a foreign land. Either way, that makes a huge difference to the people eating it. So what she does here is she interweaves the story of her reporting. Um, she's in Beirut. She's in Baghdad in the like 2000, in the mid 2000s, ending in about 2009. And then she's also personally looking for the place where she feels at home as she travels through different regions, um, different intermixing cultures with brewing violence. Um, all around her and it has recipes which is kind of a trend these days but it's not the kind of feel-good you know sweet book that usually has recipes punctuating each chapter so you have um, the importance of food but also geopolitics and violence and just a whole stew pot of human emotions how does that sound I think that sounds really interesting I think that's a good pick for me for sure okay I'm I'll be interested to hear what you think about that. I'm thinking, so how do you feel about novels with food? Not about food, but with food. Eh, I haven't read any that I've been that interested in, but tell me what you have in mind. I was thinking about Crescent by Diana Abu-Jabber. It's a little over 10 years old. It's about Iraqi exiles living in LA. Does this sound familiar? No, I haven't read that one. But I know, I think I know which one you're talking about. Yes, but I have not read it. Tell me why you've picked it for me, though. This is an interesting book. I, I think at first blush, it looks, the, I mean, the cover, it looks like a love story. And much of that love story develops over just the intimacy of cooking a meal in the kitchen. So the reason there's so much cooking is because there's a beautiful chef. And then we have a Near Eastern Studies professor who's an intellectual, and so they fall in love cooking in her kitchen. And we interweave this modern story where they're getting to know each other with, um, it kind of reminded me of The Hundred Foot Journey. Is that a book that you've read? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, I, I did, yes. I don't remember how they put forth the story there, but you are hearing uh, a family story that almost sounds like a fairy tale that introduces each chapter that happens a long time ago. But then most of the action happens in the present day. And the way they combine new and old it gives the novel a sense of place, a sense of history, a sense of heritage, even though most of the impact is happening on in the present day. So you have these people falling in love, but also just because of who these people are, where they come from, you have someone who's American-born, you have someone who's in exile from the Middle East. There are issues of community and loyalty and loss and dislocation and friendship and politics that makes it gives the novel a depth that if you were just say oh it's a story about cooking you might not expect otherwise well i think i will check that one out too because it sounds like it's more than it sounds like it's more than just a feel-good novel if that makes sense it sounds like even though it's a novel and it's fiction, it does it does have sort of talk through or address some very um, sort of political, cultural aspects or topics, so to speak. Would that be fair? 
Yes, about food bridging cultural divides and sometimes accentuating cultural divides. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Yeah, as we were talking, of course, all kinds of books flitted through my head, like um, the novel, when you said that you like stories about female chefs, I thought, oh, like that novel with a female chef that turns into a romantic comedy and is, you know, like restaurant critics and chefs falling in love or capers in the kitchen. Or... Do you watch a lot of the Hallmark Channel? No, but I've, I've read. <laughs> it sounds like the type of movie in the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> it totally does. And I could think of a whole lot of books that could be comfortably adapted to the Hallmark Channel. And I don't think that's what you want to read, even if they do feature female chefs. What about, I'm sure you've heard of this. What about Alone in the Kitchen with an Eggplant? Oh, yeah. Yes. That's the, yeah. Do you like it? Have you read yeah, it? Yeah, that is a good pick for me, too. Yes. Yes. I would enjoy that book. Yes. That's a good pick. So you haven't read it yet? No. Okay. Well, what do you know about it? But we have it at the store. I bet you do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I would definitely enjoy, I would definitely enjoy reading that book. So um, it's one of the first books. Actually, I think I remember seeing that book because it had such an interesting cover to it. It, it really had that very attractive shine to it. And I remember thinking, this is a really attractive book. And I started to flip through it. And then I put it back down because we were we literally in the process of setting up all our books when we had just opened and we had books like 3,700 books coming in and I didn't know what to do <laughs> with a lot of them. that book stands on my mind for that reason. So I'm actually fascinated that you've picked that one for me. Well, good. This one for readers who don't look at this in their store every day, it's a collection of short personal essays. So it was the memoir angle that made me think of it for you. And Alone in the Kitchen with an Eggplant. Oh, well, here, I can share the subtitle. It's Confessions of Cooking for One and Dining Alone. And the editor, it's Jenny Ferrari Adler, has compiled a whole host of food people and not people you think of as food people like um, Ann Patchett or Haruki Murakami talking about cooking for one or dining by themselves. And some are sweet and some are sad and some are hysterical. It's lots of fun, but you have a wide variety of experiences all in one little book. And that's really interesting. I mean, the reason I also was very fascinated with that book when I picked it up that first time, and, and now that you mention it, I am going to go back to it, is because when I was in consulting and I traveled a lot, um, eating by myself was something that I got very used to because I, you know, you didn't exactly have friends in the city that you went to and you ended up working late and then it was just, okay, let me just go and get something quick to eat and you would eat by yourself. So that was one of the reasons why I had picked up that book when I first seen it and then I put it down and it's been a whirlwind of two years. So I'm really glad you mentioned it. I think Lori Colwyn has an essay in this book. Am I remembering that right? Do you know? Because when I was in your store, I remember what I got. I got my first Lori Colwyn essay collection, home cooking. I've been meaning to read her for years and never had and read it at the hotel while I was still in Chicago. Really, really loved it. And I got an old favorite, A Homemade Life by Molly Weisenberg that I don't think I read since I purchased, but it still makes me happy to see it on my shelf. Yeah, I can't remember. And I remember that's what you took a picture of. You kind of stacked up your books and you took a picture of something. <laughs> I, 
It's, it's really weird. The, the random things that I remember is really, really quite weird. Um, but I... We will repost that on Instagram so the readers can see it. At what should I read next? Um, but uh, I can't remember if she if if she had a contribution in Alone in the Kitchen with an Eggplant. Um, but she's got some interesting books too. I've never read her fiction. Have you? No, I can't say I have. I'm I'm not sure if I want to try or not. But I did really love home cooking and more home cooking. Okay, Esther of those titles, I think I can guess what you're interested in beginning first <laughs> tell me i suspect it might be the essay collection it is yeah all right well i can't wait to hear what you think thanks so much for talking books with me today thank you it was a lot of fun hey readers i hope you enjoyed my conversation with esther today head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for esther and to let her know there what you thought of my recommendations that page is at what should I read next podcast.com slash 94. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, the release of my book reading people is coming up fast and I'm hitting the road this fall to talk books and meet you in person. I'll be in New Orleans the weekend of September 15th at the novel neighbor in St. Louis on September 27th. Michael and Smith's Nest Fest near Charlotte on October 21st and Main Street Books in Davidson, North Carolina on October 22nd. We also put a new date on the calendar at Malaprops in Asheville on Saturday, November 4th. Visit annbogle.com slash events for the latest information on where I'll be this fall, plus detailed information on those stops I just mentioned. I hope to see you there. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at annbogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at annbogle and at what should I read next. To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes, what should I read next news? Make sure you're getting our free newsletter. Sign up at what should I read next podcast.com slash newsletter. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.